place for liberty, an oasis of sanity and civility, a breath of fresh air. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Let's very quickly go back to the Murdoch trial and the judge now sentencing uh, Murdoch to a life sentence. So far, let's listen to the rest. And officers may carry forth on the imposition. For those of you who may just be joining us, Alex Murdoch has been sentenced to life in prison, life in prison for the murders of his wife and son. Right now, the bailiffs have come and they have um, started to escort Alex Murdoch, a man who had a whole lot of power for so many years power that is associated with a powerful family of attorneys and now he as a convicted killer convicted killer of his wife and of his son has been walked now out of the courtroom and he is on the way to serving a life sentence for killing his wife and his son this story unfolding at this very moment as we begin the broadcast today, this has been uh, quite a journey, as you know, over the last six weeks, as we have watched this particular trial unfold. A uh, number of interesting developments during the course of the trial, which we're going to get to, and you're going to hear some of the folks who were connected to this. Most importantly, you'll hear from a juror who spoke with ABC News just this morning. You know, one of the things that is so intriguing about this were, I think, two elements. One of them is the testimony. The testimony of Alex Murdoch. I think for a lot of people, this was a surprise. They did not expect him to take the stand. In many cases, that's not recommended especially when a person is widely thought to be guilty. This is thought to be a uh, very unwise move. And it'll be interesting to hear from this legal team, once they leave the courtroom, get their perspectives on how uh, they have processed this entire case, how they've tried to guide the case. And I'll be curious as to what their perspective was on the idea of their client testifying. Now, in a bit, you're going to hear from Craig Moyer, who is a carpenter. He had an interview with ABC News just this morning. We're going to share some of that audio in a bit. In fact, um, I just w I want to put out there just that uh, and give him some time to process this because we have a number of things here. Just let me know when it's ready because we have some a number of things that we want to recover to cover regarding this particular trial and some of the elements that really 
grab the attention, not just of the local community, of the state, the Carolinas, uh, throughout the nation and the world for that matter. A lot of international attention focused on this particular trial. One of the other turning points, I mentioned the fact that we had testimony from Alex Murdoch himself. This was thought to be a big surprise. But the other thing was audio. It was audio of a phone call. And this phone call, cell phone video, was actually something that placed Alex Murdoch at the scene minutes before the murders. This was a turning point in this entire case. And you put those things together. First off, we've placed him at the scene now. Then we have him on the stand and commenting on this. And I think a number of people would look at this, legal observers would look at this and say, it's really kind of a one-two punch. At least that's the perspective from one of the jurors. Now, I mentioned one Craig Moyer. He's a carpenter, and I'm sure he had no idea when he agreed to jury service many months ago that it would put him really in the national spotlight. Well, that's where he was this morning in an interview with ABC News and Eva Pilgrim. I want to start off with Craig Moyer describing what things were like, because one of the things that I've heard most frequently in the last 24 hours, they cannot believe how quickly this thing unfolded. It was like three hours. And actually, the timeline is much shorter when you hear Craig Moyer. Here he is describing what happened in the jury room. Listen up. The defense said there's no way he could have done all these things, clean everything up, get it all ready, and then go to his mom's and come back in that short amount of time. I think there's just enough time. If you really look at everything, it's, it's, it's all plain and clear. All plain and clear. By the way, and you'll hear him say this, that this is a case for him that was very clear from the beginning. His vote at the beginning was no. Um, uh, it, my, it's it, the very beginning, no in terms of buying this guy's story. They took the first vote at the very beginning. And he's saying, yes, we convict this guy. Most of the other jurors were on the same page. Let's hear Craig Moyer talk about what happened in that jury room in the opening minutes? This again, a conversation with Eva Pilgrim about the beginning of the time in the jury room. When you first got in the room, you took a vote? It was two not guilty, one not sure, and nine guilty. What was your vote? Guilty. From the start? Yes. He started deliberating, going through the evidence. Everybody was pretty much talking. And about 45 minutes later, we, after all our deliberating, we figured it out. So it took basically 45 minutes for you guys to come to a decision? Probably about 45, maybe an hour. That's really fast. Yeah, the evidence was clear. 
Evidence was clear. This was pretty straightforward. One of the things I mentioned to you, and this was one of the turning points in the case, it was that video taken in the family's dog kennels by Paul Murdoch. That proved to be the turning point in this. And what this all came down to was the presence of Murdoch's voice. Listen to Craig Moyer talk about Murdoch's voice on that audio. Hear his voice clearly. And everybody else could too. When he said it was him, were you surprised? I was very surprised. Why? That was his only savior right there. For some people, it's so hard to understand how a husband, especially a father, would kill their own son. What made you so sure that he had? His responses, how quick he was with the defense and his lies, steady lies. Did you feel like he was a liar? A good liar. A good liar. This good liar now on the way to prison for the remnants to life in prison. More on this coming up. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program. If you'd like to join the conversation, the GS Plumbing Talk Line, 800-928-1110. 800-928-1110. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. Your responses thus far. The breaking news, Alex Murdoch sentenced to life in prison. That announcement literally right before the start of the show. Life in prison. On the text line, Paul Murdoch proved once again to be his dad's nemesis. His foolery is what brought Alex's misdeeds to light. And his phone video was his nail in the coffin. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Chris out of Shelby. God knew what the demon inside of Alex was about to do. That's why he had Paul recording it all the time. This was not a coincidence. Now we have to figure out how this guy, who's an attorney for so long, and how he got away with the things he did over the years, so this does not happen again. I hate to be a skeptic here. It's human nature. It's going to happen again. Somewhere. Some of this is us and the things that we allow. I, I would just encourage all of us to keep our eyes open. Just keep our eyes on everything going on around us. And when we do really genuinely see something, that we don't just turn our eyes away. It, it's just so many situations like this where we put up with bullying Collectively, we allow it. And people like this do this stuff for years until it all crashes down. Faith Focus Friday. If faith is complete trust or confidence that everything works ultimately for the best, if you have faith, is your reason to accept life. So, could you consider Don't Fight It Friday? I need a day of rest. Thank you. That's from Dean. I've never understood the point of more than one consecutive life sentence. Any more than one should be death. Yeah. Another person saying here, prison's going to be rough on him, Vince. Uh, yes, it is. Why did the press not try to interview Buster? He shows zero emotions. Well, someone will. I wonder how long it's going to take before we see that exclusive 
interview. This person staying, saying, I still think Buster and the brother had something to do with it. As for the corruption part, Vince, it already is happening again. Look up to D.C. Yes, D.C., that's what this is. It's a collective bullying of people. And people will just continue accepting it. This is unfortunately standard fare. For the break, you were hearing from Craig Moyer. He's a carpenter and a juror. He shared his experience with ABC's Eva Pilgrim. We have a couple of other clips from that. One of them, the big surprise I talked about earlier in this broadcast, the fact that Alex Murdoch decided to testify in his own defense, something that is generally discouraged in situations like this. Here is what Craig Moyer had to say about that testimony. What did you think when Alex Murdoch took the stand? <laughs> I didn't think much of him. Really? Really. I didn't see any true remorse or any compassion or anything. Even though he was, he, he cried a lot on the stand. He, he never cried. He never cried. What do you mean by that? All he did was blow snot. Did you not see tears? No tears. How did you know he wasn't crying? Because I saw his eyes. I was as close to him. That, that just amazes me. I, I got to tell you, I love this guy. I love this guy. You know, and you heard all the stories. In the Oh, he was crying on the stand. Folks, they saw right through this guy. This was a show. And at the end of the day, there were, really weren't any tears. That's what he's saying. I was close. We saw something on TV. This guy is sitting just feet away. He saw what he saw. And I think this probably sums up what the other jurors were thinking, too. Boy, this is a joke. He's <laughs> just blowing snot. Oh, I've never heard somebody say something so harsh. You've already heard how the testimony from the defense was that, you know, there, this couldn't have happened. The, the timeline just doesn't work for this. And I, I want to share that clip again. This is the one where he talks about the fact that, you know, even though the defense is saying there's no way that Alex Murdoch could have had the time to go over to his mother's place and come back and all of that. Uh, the timeline just doesn't hit. Uh, he's saying, you know, the, the whole time and alibi of defense just didn't just didn't work. Here is Craig Moyer again. The defense said there's no way he could have done all these things, clean everything up, get it all ready, and then go to his mom's and come back in that short amount of time. Well, I think there's just enough time. If you really look at everything, it's 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 all plain and clear. It's all plain and clear. At the end of the day, there really are no surprises here, are there? Pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward stuff. Raw story. A legal expert saying there, Alex Murdoch's train wreck testimony likely blew his whole defense. 
for criminal defense attorney Duncan Levin. Murdoch's testimony has been nothing short of a train wreck that has inched the prosecution significantly closer to a conviction. It was clear prior to his testimony, his own lawyers didn't want him to testify. Now we know why. Prosecution's done a very good job showing the jury who Alex Murdoch really is. And he really appeared to flounder under cross-examination. His demeanor was off, snapping at the prosecutor who was asking about his financial crimes. He repeatedly admitted lying, blaming it on drug addiction. The jury clearly did not accept the excuses. And it seems pretty incredible to believe anyone on the jury would have been swayed in his direction during that testimony. One other defense lawyer, Gerald Harmon, disagreed. He said Murdoch appeared thoughtful and collected. Likely did not substantially harm his case. Well, I think we know otherwise, don't we? Pretty incredible the way this is all unfolded. Another element about this, and in the midst of all of this sadness, there was also a comical moment that unfolded in the courtroom. We will share that and much more as we continue our Friday broadcast. Stay with us. is the Vince Coakley radio program. If you'd like to join the conversation, call Vince on the GS Plumbing talk line at 800-928-1110. That's 800-928-1110. Or text the Common Sense Retirement Planning text line at 71307. Now back to Vince. Wow, this text line. (laughs) You will uh, understand when you hear some of the texts that have been sent in the last few minutes let's start here vince i still think i still think murdoch is innocent they only proved he's a liar and a thief not a murderer alan out of gastonia has a very different perspective vince this is an all too common scenario of white trash with money manipulating white trash with little money wow that's pretty brutal How many people that Alex helped to end up in prison, now that he's in prison, how many did he help to incarcerate? It's a good question. Do you think Biden will pardon Paul Murdoch? After all, Paul's a Democrat. Oh my goodness. Ah, boy. This person says, you see what the jurors look like? Biden basement dwellers wanting to get back to their video games. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Jim out of Easley with this brutal warning. Alex Murdoch better get used to washing Big Tyrone's tidy whities Oh, boy. That's pretty dreadful. Vince, the person who feels most vindicated in Alex Murdoch being found guilty, the butler. (laughs) Ah, my goodness. I'd also say SLED needs to start an investigation into his law firm. It's in the state law enforcement division. There's no way he could get away with as much as he did. Well, he did for quite some time. Just listening to this juror, it makes me feel really good about the fact that I live in America, where I get to be judged by a jury of my peers. 
as opposed to lawyers, politicians, a king, or a religious cleric. As is true in most countries. That is very, very good. Great observation. Just a uh, summation of some of the things that you have offered on the text line regarding the Murdoch trial. I told you uh, just a couple of things about the assessment of this from a prosecutor saying that basically a lot of what happened here was self-inflicted by Mr. Murdoch himself, especially with his testimony, and even a defense attorney saying the same thing. What's also interesting here, this observation. Do you know what that call was about? That video call? It was about the dog, a dog eating one of the chickens. Isn't it interesting that that event was ultimately the turning point in this trial? Because this video call was placed... For one, it captured Murdoch's voice. And then, through Murdoch's testimony, he confirmed that was his voice. This was like a one-two punch. But it all started with the dog getting one of the chickens. What would have happened if that event did not occur? This is just bizarre to think of, of an event that's really so simple had such a tremendous impact. Before we leave this, a lighter event that occurred in the courtroom. We had a guy who was kicked, a person who was kicked off. It was a woman, actually. He was kicked off of the jury. And she had some possible conversations about the case outside the courtroom. That was the reason that she was kicked off of the jury. So... As you would expect in this kind of situation, you leave, you got to take all of your belongings. And this particular woman brought something pretty interesting with her. Well, they're quite a premium now because they're so expensive. She actually brought these to the jury room with her. So I want you to hear this exchange that took place in the courtroom. You're going to hear the voice of Judge Clifton Newman, who is trying to discern what she needs to collect before she leaves the premises. Listen to Judge Newman. Have you brought everything that you have outside of, you left some stuff in there? What do you have in there? A dozen eggs. Say it again? A dozen eggs. A dozen eggs? Yeah, what the other jury brought in eggs for everybody. Oh, okay. Eggs, my purse, and that water. All right, well, you're going to leave the eggs... You want to leave the eggs or take the eggs? You're going to take the eggs. <laughs> so, Mr. Bailiff, can you retrieve from the jury room her dozen eggs, uh, her purse, and what else? And a bottle of water. You can get those things from the jury room. Um, <laughs> we get a lot of interesting things, but now a dozen eggs. <laughs> That's kind of humorous to have this happen in such a high-profile trial. And you can imagine the tensions would just be so incredibly high. 
in this entire situation. So, your thoughts, welcome on the close of this particular chapter. I would strongly encourage you as well, as I mentioned at the beginning of this week, if you have not thus far watched The Murdoch Murders on Netflix, I want to strongly encourage you to do so. It is absolutely incredible. And I'm going to make this prediction. It's really not a... It's not really going out on a limb at all to tell you that um, there's going to be more that's going to emanate from this particular family. It's This is not the end of the story. There are still some unsolved, unresolved issues that we're going to hear about related to the Murdoch family. And it's just a matter of time before those processes work themselves out. I think I see that some of the attorneys are speaking right now. We've got to go to a break. If they are still speaking, perhaps we'll listen in and hear what they have to say about this particular case, whether it's the defense team or the prosecution. And uh, it'll be interesting to get their perspective. And we'll move on to some other news of the day. Also, Faith Focus Friday. That much more as we continue our Friday broadcast. I didn't say it yet. I need to. Happy Friday. Stay with us. Back in the Vince Coakley radio program. It's a pretty short news conference there. And it included representatives from the state law enforcement division. They had a pretty simple statement. Murdoch was found guilty because he was guilty. Pretty simple, huh? In reference to the dog that prompted that video that was key to the prosecution's case, this texture says, I hope the prosecution buys the dog a few extra cans of dog food. (laughs) The comments I made about how this story is going to live on, Dean saying it's not the end of the story because the media will decide when it ends, not the family. A lot of truth in that. I suppose on the egg story, the judge was trying to say, you shouldn't leave all your eggs in one basket. Gosh. And Jeff, I don't know about you. The defense testimony had more holes in it than the blue jeans most teenagers wear these days. That in itself is the straw that broke the camel's back. By the way, glad to hear your hear your Kenny G bumper music again. Kenny G. Ugh. Also adding, that juror thought she could get away with <laughs> get away with an existential distraction. Well, the yoke is on her. She's just looking at the judge, decided not to go all ham on her. Better start baking your way to the door, Jeff, really? Oh my gosh. Worse material than mine. That's really bad. That's saying a lot. It's definitely saying a whole lot. Other things we want to address coming up in just a few minutes. We have Faith Focus Friday. Trying to gauge what we have time to delve into. And I want to go to this. There are certain positions in government that are just 
very plain, very pastel, very innocuous, and dare I say it, boring. At least they should be. But there's one position that apparently has become ideological and the person nominated by President Biden, the woman is just beyond partisan. This is all exposed through testimony that took place in the Senate Homeland Security Committee. Now, Biden's nominee to head the National Archives and Records Administration. Her name is Colleen Shogan. And she's now been accused of lying under oath. (laughs) Do you think she's going to be prosecuted for this? Not on your life. Now, Holly declared his opposition to her nomination after a back and forth in which she confronted, he confronted Shogun with her past tweets that included taking a shot at Senator Ted Cruz, endorsing mask mandates for young children, and she said her personal Twitter account was not political. Now, keep this in mind. She's saying, you know, oh, my personal Twitter account is just, you know, it's all harmless, innocuous stuff, Right. Dogs, sports teams, and novels. That's what she said. But it proved not to be the case, as I have described to you. This woman is profoundly partisan. And I think part of Holly's point is that, hey, just be honest about what's on there. But she completely lies. And then just tries to dodge the subject. Here's the exchange between... U.S. Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, and this is a confrontation that took place with Colleen Shogan, uh, I believe, on Tuesday. Listen up. On February 18th, 2022, you posted bemoaning the fact that mask requirements for children under the age of five, one of whom I happen to have, by the way, have been dropped. Is that a post about your dog or sports teams? My social media is in my personal capacity. Answer my question, please, because you've testified under oath that you only posted about your dog and sports teams and novels, and you also said you wouldn't give this committee any of your public posts. Is that a post about your dog or sports teams? Yes or no? My social media is in my personal capacity, Senator. Yes or no, Ms. Shogan, you are under oath. My social media is in my personal capacity, Senator. I have never seen a witness blatantly lie under oath like Dr. Shogan has just done to this committee, stonewalled this committee, and just repeatedly refused to answer my questions about her own posts that are in public. (laughs) Isn't this crazy? I mean, it's not like this is stuff that's hidden. She's basically lying. You know, this isn't going to stop me. I mean, it's the Senate. Democrats control the Senate. This woman is going to get this position. But I have to commend Josh Hawley for calling this woman out for the liar that she is. And this is, unfortunately, the way one political party works. This kind of thing really doesn't matter as long as the person is on your side. So as much heat as I've taken for challenging the former president, if you can't challenge the integrity of somebody like this who lies so blatantly, then uh, take that partisan garbage away from me. Just get it away from me. Coming up, we've got Faith Focus Friday. Stay with us. From the heart of the Carolinas, a voice in the wilderness. 
a thought-provoking broadcast in a world of ignorant nonsense. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? Yes, I guess you're right. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. And here we are, hour number two of our broadcast, time for Faith Focus Friday. A couple of items for you. I think we're going to try to wrap up what I've been sharing with you, the really good piece about true revival. And I um, also want to share some personal things with you, a really interesting story about how I spent my day yesterday. I went to Kentucky right after this broadcast. Uh, that's two Wednesdays in a row, two, well, actually Wednesday last week, Thursday this week, um, and <laughs> there were some interesting adventures along the way that I will try to get to. First, Faith Focus Friday. Steve Crosby has a great post about self-awareness, you know, and I talk about this spiritually, I talk about this politically, as individuals and as groups. One of our big problems is too many of us believe our own PR. Now, I'm not saying we should be obsessed and absorbed in self-criticism. But too many times, one of the things that really stifles us is the failure to take in input that's different than what we happen to believe or think. And sometimes we need it. We need correction. We need adjustment. Here's Steve's post. Sometimes the air supply in our small Christian bubble runs a little thin. We erroneously assume that big deals in Christian bubble world are big deals universally. Oh my goodness. Boy, have I been guilty of this. They're not. I was once in a leadership meeting of erroneously so-called five-fold leaders that was filling the Christian bubble with tons of hot air. <laughs> You just hear Steve saying this. A brother with courage got up and said, we love you. But no one under 40 years old cares anything about anything you've been talking about for the entire weekend. By the way, I'm quite familiar with this particular event he's describing. He was right. We were a bunch of old guys with an inflated opinion of ourselves and the importance of what we had to say. When we exist in the echo chamber of our own thoughts, our own sense of our self-importance and significance to the rest of the world that, unlike ourselves, deals in reality, we will always be wrong. It's like artists' opinion of their own work. Of course they think it's wonderful and groundbreaking, until the picture ends up at the 50-cent bin at the dollar store. <laughs> Same thing happens when Christians diagnose their own experience and ascribe significance to it. It just hasn't hit the discount bin yet. <laughs> Isn't this true? Can we acknowledge that one of the reasons, and I think it's a great tie-in to the rest of what I share from Tim Keller. I mean, this is right on the money. There's a connection here. Can we just acknowledge... And I know it's rather blunt that in some of these areas, we just suck. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner we actually have some hope of moving forward and having a real impact. I want to share with you the final 
maybe we'll go through all of this, maybe just a portion. But I've been sharing this with you in pieces. This is a piece by Tim Keller in The Atlantic. American Christianity is due for a revival. And the cool thing about this, this actually, I started sharing this with you before Asbury. Because it really gets to the heart of the substantive things that need to be addressed, not church services or events. Let us go to item number five. The church has in its favor what the Catholic philosopher Charles Taylor called the unquiet frontiers of modernity. He makes the case that Western culture is deeply conflicted about faith and God. Modern secularism holds that people are only physical entities without souls. That sensations of love and beauty, they're just neurological chemical events. There's no meaning other than what we construct. No right or wrong outside of what we in our minds choose. Yet most people feel that life is greater than what can be accounted for by naturalistic explanations. The modern self is exceptionally fragile. While having the freedom to define and validate oneself is superficially liberating, it's also exhausting. You and you alone must create and sustain your identity. This has contributed to unprecedented levels of depression and anxiety and never satisfied longings for affirmation. Remember I've talked about this with so many of these groups looking for affirmation. You know, I've said this about Black Lives Matter, about the gay, lesbian, transgender thing. There's not a sense of inner affirmation and identity. There's a sense of, you have to affirm me because of what's unsettled inside. Tim Keller continues, the modern self is also fragmenting. Abella argued, it's individualism leading to the erosion of family, community, and unity of shared values in the nation. The breakdown of neighborhoods and communities means that more and more our lives are run by faceless, massive bureaucracies and inhumane technologies aimed solely at economic efficiency. In sharp contrast, Christianity offers grace and covenant. Protestant Christianity teaches its members salvation is by sheer grace, not by one's moral effort or performance. We're adopted as sons and daughters of God. So the cosmic ruler becomes our unconditionally loving Heavenly Father. And all who unite with God as Father are brought into a family of faith, which is based not on contractual relationships, sustained only as long as they benefit both parties' interests, but covenant relationships. I love this. I'm so glad he contrasted those things in which all parties pledge to serve one another in sacrificial love that's what I'm into covenant relationships in which all parties pledge to serve one another in sacrificial love what may happen is this even though the secular world markets its highly individualistic view of the self as objective and universal the rest of the world sees that it is par parochially Western and shot through with non-empirical assumptions about human nature. As time goes on, secular Americans may begin to see the rest of the world as developed cultures that are modern, but nonetheless religious. Young secular Americans may feel themselves to be in a kind of wasteland and begin to question their unbelief. All of this, Taylor thinks, may cause secularism to become less plausible over time. Hmm. 
all of these factors in Christianity's favor, all of these factors, will not necessarily trigger a renewal. For that to happen, these three things have to be accomplished by at least a significant sector of the U.S. church. The escape from political captivity. American evangelicals have largely responded to the decline of the church by turning to a political project of retaining power in order to expel secular people from places of cultural influence. But a demographically shrinking church that identifies heavily with one narrow band of political actors will not be relevant in America. A dynamically growing body of believers making visible sacrifices for the good of their neighbors, on the other hand, may indeed shape the culture, mainly through attraction rather than compulsion. Oh, my goodness. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program, I mentioned we'll be sharing more of that Tim Keller article in the future. Jeff writes, yes, we're saved by grace. Our sins washed away at Calvary. Let's not forget faith without works is dead. Faith without legs, worthless. Jeff, I'm fully with you. And the way I describe it is vital signs. If there is life indeed in you, if there's life inside, it will be manifest outside. I, I just never have believed in the garbage of, well, my faith is private. You know, you may have your faith. Faith without an object without a real connection relationship is worthless the whole point is I love Steve Crosby's definition of faith which is relational trust relational trust so if he says and and I spoke this and maybe I'll share some of the message that I communicated at Don's memorial Don Atkins memorial on Sunday I talked about this about you know, the scripture talks about if we believe in him, out of our belly would flow rivers of living water. It's it's a life. It's about life source. So if it's in there, it's going to flow. So the reason it's not flowing most of the time is because it's not there. That's the reality. Because it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, really it's like a... Um, Niagara Falls, it's going to make a path. It will. On a personal note, I've mentioned on this broadcast a couple of weeks ago, I learned my mother had a stroke. She's 91 years old. And I typically visit mom once a month. And during this last few weeks, I've been more intentional to visit at least weekly, at least once weekly. And um, it's an adventure, to say the least, with all the things going on in my life. Typically, I'm going and coming back same day. And uh, it's been adventurous to get there. We'll just put it that way. The flight that I usually take to go, uh, last week it was 1 o'clock. And I think in the new March schedule, it's one o seven. So it gave me a few minutes <laughs> extra minutes to get there uh but yesterday i blew it oh my goodness i i it was it was absolutely incredible so i'm feeling pretty good i by the way just a hint that something may help you i have a travel checklist so whenever i go anywhere even if it's a short trip like this i print out the travel checklist and i go through it and check everything off to make sure it's in the bag 
Now, one of the problems along the way, as you will hear, is I switch my wallet between different bags. And, yeah, I think you know where this story's going. So 12 noon, show's over. I get on the road, head toward the airport. Ten minutes into the drive. I reach over. I'm in the middle of a phone conversation, in fact, with my sister talking about my mom. And I realized, crap, my wallet is not in the bag. But it's already, uh, okay, this is time I can't, can't deal with. So I race back. I uh, called and had someone here at the house uh, make sure they got the uh, wallet and were waiting for me to just pull up and grab it and run, which is exactly what happened. So here it is, like 12.20, boarding is going to start at, what, 12.37 boarding time? And I'm basically pulling away from my driveway at 12.20. <laughs> and I'm telling myself along the way, this isn't going to work. Fortunately, I called. I knew any of the parking scenarios that I would normally use were, were just not going to work. So I called and I thought, you know what? There's valet. So I called valet and said, okay, let's do that. Call them. They told me how it worked, where to take the car. So, uh, you know, I gave them all my information. I said, I'm going to drop and run. I, I don't have time to stop and give you all my, I'm giving you all my information now, which I did. And then I literally dropped everything. But anyway, to back up the story, yeah, I had to turn around. Go back to the house, get my wallet. Um, I think I pulled up at the airport. It was about boarding time, probably 12.35, something like that. Walking over. By the time, you know, fortunately I have pre TSA pre-check. And what do you think happens when I go through pre-check? The alarm goes off. <laughs> Not anything I had on me. It was a, what is called a um, random check. The thing will go off just randomly just to check. So that what they'll do is they'll grab your phone or something and they'll check and make sure there's no explosives or anything on it. I was like, great. That's at minus seven. That's the point. I'm seven minutes from them closing the flight and I'm at TSA <laughs> and they're checking my phone. I just thought, okay, there's the final blow right there. Not going to make it. And the guy was quick. I told him I had, at that point, I had seven minutes. And he was done in about a minute. doesn't take very long. And I made a mad dash downstairs and literally made it within a minute of them closing the flight. Uh, literally closed the door after me. So the timing is so important because that's the last flight that would allow me to be able to go spend all afternoon and come back in the evening, which is what I did around 8 o'clock in the evening. So any case, I made it. <laughs> You don't know how thankful I was because I know that time is so important and uh, I know how much mom appreciates uh, just having company. And I think about that of everybody there when you go. And I remember, I think the last time I visited and I remember someone saying, I wish my son would come and visit me. And I thought, oh, my gosh. And it just reminded me how important it is and how I want to continue to make this a priority. And it's. Uh, and just thankful, it, it, seriously, just thankful for air travel to be able to do this. I, and very often I'm thinking of 
people in times before air travel. Go back in Bible days. How long it took people to get from one place to the other. I mean, we're talking about months, months upon months to take the journeys that we take for granted that we can do so quickly. So uh, I thought you would be amused by my story. By the way, as of today, I am going to put I am going to put my wallet on the checklist. That's pretty sad, but that's the best way to remember that I need to make sure it is there because that's actually the second time that has happened. The last time I had more time and uh, this time around, uh, never again is it going to be that close. I'm just telling you, at least not for that reason. <laughs> Stay with us. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. If you'd like to join the conversation, call Vince on the GS Plumbing Talk Line at 800-928-1110. That's 800-928-1110. Or text the Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line at 71307. Now, back to Vince. And over on that text line, the one thing always gets me about the affirming thing or any affirmation of you and your choices if you need affirmation from outside yourself, then when the people around you change their minds, they will change you. Instead, concentrate on being the best person you can be, with God as your guide. Then you have the confidence to be who you were meant to be, and actually help others do the same. I so love this text. It's right on the money. Yep, that affirmation, primary affirmation, has to be on the inside. Inside, not outside. Also on the text line, did you just admit over the 50,000 watts you were driving without a license? It's Chris out of Shelby. Yes, I did. <laughs> GG, Vince, just listening to your journey to the airport, driving to Charlotte. Thought I was losing a couple of pounds just listening. <laughs> I know just what you mean. Been there, done that. Hope your mom is doing better. Thank you very much for your kind words. And this, Vince, that flight story would make me think it's a sign not to get on a plane with all the FAA mishaps. Boy, there have been a number of those. Did you see the turbulence on that one plane? Food scattered all over the place? Trays? I mean, that's a mess. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm glad these stories have, have developed years into my getting over my own fear otherwise might have scared me away just being honest with you i want to tell you about a, a really cool victory that's going on right now a really cool victory that needs to be highlighted and celebrated as you know we've seen out of the left a very concerted effort to undermine the police law enforcement and despite the fact that there's been a shift by a number of Democrat politicians on this issue, there are still some hardliners who still have contempt for the police, for the justice system. And they think that, you know, somehow if they make things more lenient, that's going to make our streets safer. And it's going to be more fair, equitable. And, and I'm so over this. I really am. Breitbart has a story. <laughs> this headline is hilarious. And this is where I said, folks, this is a cause for celebration in the fact that 
More people are getting it, including the president. The president's recognized, and I think for the president, this is political. He's thinking of running for 2024, and he wants to make sure that he does not come away as one of these, come across as one of those soft on crime people. Here's the Breitbart story. Report, effing amateur hour. Some Democrats furious. Furious. Joe Biden says he will sign a GOP proposal overturning D.C.'s soft on crime law. Some Democrats are reportedly furious. Joe Biden would sign Congressional Republicans' resolution to terminate the controversial Washington, D.C. soft on crime law if the Senate passes it in coming weeks. One House Democrat told The Hill by text message, the White House effed this up royally. After meeting with Democrats in Capitol Hill, Biden's Twitter account indicated he would sign the resolution to block a D.C. law that reduces punishments for criminals. Biden's promise to sign at odds with many in his party as the 2024 election cycle ramps up. And there's your answer as to why. The district's criminal law, which reduces punish punishments for a variety of serious criminal offenses, enacted by D.C. City Council, that overrode the mayor's veto while crime soared at the beginning of 2023. So let's get this straight. Violent crime surged by 23% in 2021. And here they've got these crime issues. And so the solution is to reduce punishments for serious crimes. That makes a whole lot of sense. This is crazy. This Democrat lawmaker adds, so a lot of us who are allies voted no in order to support what the White House wanted. Now we're being hung out to dry. The Democrat lawmaker added, effing amateur hour. Head should roll over the White House over this. In Biden's tweet, he mentioned the district's soaring carjacking. According to the Metropolitan Police Department, 94 carjackings occurred in the district in 2023. Homicides dramatically increased 25%. Death from auto, 21%. Theft, 16 Are you ready for this one? Arson, up 300%. Delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton also expressed her frustration with Biden, suggesting the high crime rate is the reason he promised to veto the bill. She added, today's been a sad day for D.C. home rule and D.C. residents' right to self-governance. Both the nationwide increase in crime, most senators do not want to be seen as supporting criminal justice reform. Holmes Norton added the resolution would empower the paternalistic, anti-democratic Republican opposition to the principle of local control over local affairs. I think it's evident here these folks don't know how to control their affairs. Not all Democrats oppose the resolution. Many local Democrats have spoken against the district's law. Former district attorney, district advisory neighborhood commissioner of the Hill East neighborhood for eight years, K. Denise Rucker Krep requested Congress support the resolution. Krep is a Democrat. Former political appointee in the Obama administration told Breitbart News she opposed the district's law 
She said it enables the early release of convicted rapists. Oh, that's brilliant. As an advocate for sexual assault victims and as a locally elected D.C. official, I asked Congress to disapprove this bill. I'm grateful to Representative Clyde, Senator Haggerty, President Biden for stopping the D.C. bill from going into effect. Rapists must serve their full prison sentence. Boy, there's a novel idea. The Democrat Party debate over the soft on crime law comes as the Republicans' resolution will likely receive a Senate floor vote in the next few weeks. So far, who do you think would be the first Democrat who won this? One guess. Republicans only need one more vote to pass this with a simple majority. Joe Manchin is on board. <laughs> They're going to get another vote on this. Very easily. Kirsten Cinema, maybe? That may be it. This is a win, folks. It's a win for D.C. Back to the final stretch of the Vince Coakley radio program on this Friday, and we have very much a surprise guest on this broadcast. I don't think he's ever been on this program. Uh, we were telling you before the break about a huge victory that we're about ready to see, and it's on the subject of the soft on crime law that the District of Columbia has passed. The, uh, the liberals are up in arms about this because, basically, Joe Biden is now siding with Republicans on this to make sure this is overturned. This law does not get established. I told you Joe Manchin is on board. And during our break, we received a call from one of North Carolina's sitting senators. Tom Tillis is joining us, and uh, he has some news about this particular legislation. Uh, welcome to the broadcast, Tom Tillis. Good morning. Good to hear your voice. Well, good to hear yours as well, sir. I'm uh, quite intrigued by your call. Uh, what kind of news do you have for us on this front? Well, I, I was what I was telling your staff. I wasn't trying to barge in on your foe, but uh, show. But the uh, if you take a look at the political map, uh, Joe Manchin is an endangered species. Uh, he knows that there's a potential challenger that he's got work to do. You go out to Montana, John Tester, who's a real liberal. Uh, is likely to get on board. Sherrod Brown in Ohio. There are a lot of people in cycle that know crime is an issue. Don't know they ought to look at what happened in Chicago with the mayor oil race. And we got a D.C. mayor that was against it. And we've got a council that's gone crazy. And sadly, that's one of my primary residences up there. And I have seen the crime situation in Washington erode like overnight. And so Biden's generally tone deaf on the American people's priorities, but he's realizing this is an existent for Democrats. It most certainly is, and especially as we look at the likelihood he's going to ramp up to run for president, he does not want to come across as being soft on crime, right? Right. But he is, wants to be. <laughs> But now he realizes the American people are rejecting it. Yep, yeah, this is a pretty resounding message, as you described, what we've seen in Chicago and uh, and beyond. It seems like the tide is definitely turning. So if you were to guess, 
Would you put any numbers, specific numbers on this, on how many Democrats, because it sounds like there may be more than two or three, more than enough just to over, to pass this thing, that uh, you may have uh, somewhat of a tidal wave here? Well, I think uh, I, you know, I mentioned uh, to the producer that there could be a jailbreak if, if, if Biden said he's not going to veto it. And all these people know that they're losing on crime and and, and people are suffering as a result. Uh, I do think that, that you may see even some non-usual suspects vote on it. Yeah, certainly is- all the Republicans are going to. Well, this is going to be very, very interesting to watch. Uh, well, Senator Tom Tillis, I so appreciate you uh, calling in to uh, talk to us about this particular subject. We'll have to have you back on to discuss some other things sometime if you're game. Yeah, Vince, one other thing I'd like to suggest to you. Go out to the ActBlue website. That's the aggregator for all the Democratic candidates. And do a search for uh, Black Lives Matter are actually all cops are bastards. They are raising money for a 13.12-mile run, ACAB, and they proudly say because all cops are bastards. This is the major fundraising fundraising engine for the Democrats. Now, what's this website again? Uh, if you go out to AgBlue, and okay. I, I can shoot you a link, but I, 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 just, I just had it in front of the Judiciary Committee this week. It's called the 13.12 run, and it says, why 13.1.2? Because it translates into ACAB, and ACAB translates into all cops are bastards. My goodness. So that's this what they crazy. want, and they've got it out there, and they're proudly raising money on it, and the yes. voters need to understand that. This is absolutely crazy. We're certainly going to check this out, and I appreciate you bringing this to our attention. Uh, Senator Tom Tillis, representing uh, North Carolina, we'll look forward to talking with you again soon, sir. Thank you. Have a great weekend. You as well. Wow. This, <laughs> I, does any of this surprise you at all, in the least bit? You know, this, this mindset does not go away. Now, as I... And many other people, I'm sure, celebrating what is happening with this legislation, making its way through Congress. Uh, be sure that the ideology does not go away. This hostility, foundational hostility to cops, to law enforcement, to authority. You know, it's still with us, very much with us. And we, as an informed electorate, we've got to be eternally vigilant. Right. Isn't that our call? Well, that's all the time we have. Thanks a lot for joining us. We so appreciate your presence with us and uh, look forward to a great weekend, rest, relaxation. Lord willing, we'll connect with you again on Monday. Adios.